Hello and welcome to episode 255 of the Crate and Crowbar. It's the something of September 2018. My name 19th. is Chris. The 19th of so September. So it's talk like a pirate day. Oh, let's not. No. <laughs> it's not 2008 anymore. Game Mars. This isn't, this isn't the Neopets forums. <laughs> wow, you broke that rule really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I am not interested in adhering to your stipulations. You're not the king of the podcast. No, I'm not. <laughs> this is a collective. It is. It is. And uh, like, you know, but a pirate ship has a captain. Yeah, and we're this... not on a pirate ship. You've just whipped the conceptual rug out <laughs> from under You're me again. You're talking like a pirate. You're not on a boat. <laughs> I thought one followed after the other. Apparently not. But you can do piracy without being on a boat. <laughs> computer game piracy yeah talking like a pirate you could just be like did you download those sweet files either kind of pirate talks <laughs> alan uh, did you download the files <laughs> they're all called alan or some shit <laughs> i've got some cannonballs it's fine thank you for downloading this sweet file here and also sorry please don't pirate the podcast <laughs> it's free it's free <laughs> Unless you're a Patreon backer, thank you. Crowdfunding is complicated. That it's Patreon's like inverse piracy. <laughs> Paying for a thing you don't have to pay for. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> charity, they call it. <laughs> Speak like a reverse pirate and say, rah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dot rawr. <laughs> I think I've had enough of this. I'm just, I'm just going to leave. You, you were right, John. Do you want to go? <laughs> I was going to introduce you, but then... I was going to introduce you, but then... Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's John R, everybody. Oh. Hey! <laughs> Uh, also joining me inevitably is Pip and Tom Francis. You've Hello. heard their voices already, and I, I just don't want to enter the charade of pretending that you didn't know that. Oh. Uh, my name's Chris Thurston. My microphone's gone all droopy. Uh, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Crate and Crowbar. Uh, we are recording this right on the eve of, uh, EGX. Might you and I will be there, won't we, Pip? Yes. Cool. Um. <laughs> <laughs> As you listen to this. We will be there. Yeah, at least in Birmingham. Mm. Incredible. Is there any news? By the time you listen to this, the next heat signature update will be in open beta. So you Ooh. can play that. Tell us about that, Tom. Um, no. <laughs> 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 I can tell you the gist, but uh, I want to announce the features like day by day as we go. Fine. Although, um, if you're playing it, you can like, find out organically. <laughs> but uh, it was a thing that started as like, oh, uh, oh, we should add some extra challenge for the people who are finding it for like the most... Uh, committed players who already found all the best shit and um, want something that's still difficult, even in that situation. And then as we made it, we just, just I wanted to add everything, every other thing I always wanted to add to heat signature <laughs> during development, including a lot of stuff that's not for uh, high level players and is just for everyone. So it's it's got twenty features <laughs> we've added. Wow! And we're going to be announcing those over the next week. Lovely. Is that through the? Heat Signature Twitter account, probably. Yeah, and also just on, like, the Steam community page thing. I used cool. to, like, we do have an official site for Heat Signature, but my hosting provider just goes down anytime it gets any significant traffic spike, so I'm just going to use Steam's community messaging update things for talking about it. Seems sensible. I won't pressure you into saying anything. Sorry that I mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, I brought it up. <laughs> We're launching a, well, as you listen to this, there's a Hackmod update today as well which is uh, exciting if true, and it is. Um, Hackmod and Heatsinger have very similar birthdays, don't they? Yeah. It's, uh, well, yeah, it's Hackmod's second birthday on Saturday. Um, Heatsinger's first on Friday. Huh. That is what happens when games come out in mid to late September. <laughs> it's yep. my birthday today. No, it's not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that there was at least a 50% chance in this room of being believed. 
If it was just me and John, probably. I've tried that a lot of times, um, like, on my parents. <laughs> like, if my dad's telling me off, but it's my birthday. And then, like, he has to actually stop and sort of check in. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, if you are listening to this, it'll probably go up Friday morning, I imagine, and you're going to EGX, then there is barely time. Uh, for you to know that I'm doing a talk about hack mode at 5.30 on Friday, or, which is today, I think. And if you listen to this after that, it's not time. Uh, and if you're around, uh, that's 5.30 on the rest session stage about narrative and stuff. And if you're on, if you're around on Saturday, then, uh, I'm doing, um, the Cyberpunk 2020 live PlayStation Access PlayStation stage. I just plugged two things completely unforgivably uh, and everyone was silent throughout. And yeah, we were respectful. <laughs> mm. No, this is good because you talked about it. You mentioned last week that you're going to be there, but you couldn't say what you're going to be doing. That's true. Yeah, though I can. Those are the two things. There's something on five thirty on both Friday and Saturday, which is really convenient if you only like remembering one time and two separate days. People might be interested to know that um, a game by uh, uh, former or honorary Crate and Crowbar member Graham Smith is going to Dead be shown at EGX. Dead to us now. Yeah, what are the what are the former Rip co- crew members? Well, the segment in the sidebar is Dead to us. Okay, mm. uh, <laughs> currently Dead to us <laughs> member Graham Smith. Erstwhile, um, <laughs> uh, he's making a procedural detective game. Uh, procedural, both in the uh, randomly generated sense and in the it's a TV show kind of thing. Mm. Like in the game, you are uh, both solving crimes and on a TV show, um, and that's. Playable? Yeah, playable. At EGS. Yeah. Prime the, time detective. Yes. Um, in the UK Games Fund area, which I can't remember where that is, but. Yeah, and Alex will be around. He's doing a talk. I have some friends who have games in the left field collection. Cool. Um, my friend Gabrielle has a game called Small Talk, which is a really cool, like, a surreal, a game where you're at a strange party and you can talk to people and get, uh, get inside their head in some uh, interesting way um, called Small Talk, if I didn't already say that. And uh, I mentioned before on this podcast, uh, TikTok, A Tale for Two mm. by my friends Mira and Tanya is also in the FL collection. And that's a, a co-op puzzle narrative game where uh, you play it with two people and you're solving puzzles by you both have access to different information. And so you have to talk to kind of figure out the story hmm. left field collection is always uh, really interesting and worth checking out i think my favorite was from a couple of years ago where you had to push a button really quickly or a knife would chop your finger off <laughs> <laughs> yeah i remember that that was that was at rest i think oh, right. um yeah like it was a knife that swung back and forth and you had a button that you could press that was sort of in the arc of the knife swing <laughs> so in the, in the game no, as no, in it was a physical, physical knife, like setup. So yes. there was a literal knife. Yeah, I assume it was a relatively blunt arc. one, right? Well, I think it. Yeah, and I think it wasn't going like fast enough to actually kill you. But I was kind of like <laughs> kill you. Or, you know, I, it also wasn't poisoned. So that's well, because you know, if you'd been in a crowd and pushed up against the side, it ah, could have true. slit you from hither to nither. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, <have> done. <laughs> But, you know, anyway, I think that but this is like Escape the Room games where you can't, like, just be in there forever and, you know... Yeah, they have, have to let to you out. Deal with it. <laughs> <That's> the, <laughs> they can't stab you forever in yeah, this game. The only way know, to win an Escape had, Room is not to play, go to sleep. But if you had, like, a really sharp, like, scalpel blade and it's like there were real stakes... I'm still not sure why this is a game. 
But it's the it's in the manner of you know ways that people find to amuse themselves and actually like <laughs> mechanizing it, right? I, I guess like so. that thing that people do, you know, the, where they. The, the you know. knifey handy bishopsy alieny thing. Ah, I can see you've played knifey handy before. <laughs> yeah, where you stab the gap between your fingers increasingly yeah. fast, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. But a I, robot does it for you. Which I mean, or it is a, a game. Rob- it is. A, well, the problem is in aliens, it is. <laughs> but a robot. I mean, isn't this like anyway. a skill challenge in any sort of game? It's like to do a thing within the allotted time frame. I just would assume that a lot of the time, the appeal of uh, violent threats in games is they only threaten the character on the screen not your actual hand so it's for when knife. you need bigger thrills and bigger danger yeah after you've you, you've 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 dodged enough knives in a video well, you game you could use someone else's hand if you wanted yeah exactly you play it like as a third person thing where you just hold someone else's hand over the button i'm uh interested in the health and safety regulations at yeah <laughs> Res because uh my friend uh david was promoting um a, a board game uh based on a book called machine of death and the part of the fiction is that a machine takes a blood sample from you and t- tells you how you're going to die. And to promote it, he had a kind of mock-up machine where you put your hand in there and it sort of pretends to prick your hand. And mm. what it does is uh, a red pen comes down and dots your hand. And so you have a little red dot. And so yeah. It, yeah, it's as if it's blood. But even though it contained no sharp objects, just like the fact that it was claiming to take your blood caused like endless problems with security he had to <laughs> go yeah. through rounds and rounds of trying to explain to them no look it's just a pen like, it doesn't actually stab you so i went to a, a digital art fair up in this version of it was in manchester years and years ago and a really interesting artist called nelly ben hyen had her um sawyer's rocket chair there and that is a an armchair that she's rigged up and it vibrates in just such a way that if you are i think i think you're blindfolded rather than seeing anything in like a visor and you've got like headphones on and the chair is tilted at an angle so you hear the noise uh, that you would hear if rockets were actually like taking off and the chair (laughs) vibrates and there's a moment sort of just after that experience where you feel genuinely weightless like it tricks your brain into feeling weightless (laughs) so i wonder if they had any red tape around you know like well technically (laughs) this is you know it's it's obviously not a rocket however (laughs) you know have you sort of tricked people into being on a rocket by accident rocket adjacent experience mm. this reminds me this isn't news but something I, and you probably can't play it at egx but um something i played at pax uh after many many years of knowing about it and not getting to play it or sound self mm. which is a vr experience where um it's a sort of meditative thing and you put on a vr headset but it also has a microphone and um throughout the whole duration of it you make noise you just kind of go or whatever you want to do really uh but it is picking that up and sort of feeding it back to you in um uh a sort of visualizer kind of way um but it's also kind of a scripted uh thing there's sort of a kind of journey you go on and while you're on it it is modified by what you're doing with your voice and it's also playing your voice back to you um and that the setup they had for that was uh one where you lie down um and the seat that you're in um uh it's almost a bed really uh you're hearing these noises and it also vibrates with the noise as if and you kind of know that it's headphones and only you are hearing it but because the chair is vibrating with the noise it's not like a sort of like 
shakes your body in a in a dramatic way. It's just vibrating as much as it would be if the speakers were fucking enormous and the whole house was like shaking with <laughs> uh, what was happening. So it's really hard to convince yourself that this is not just like deafening the whole show floor. And, <laughs> um, it's a really amazing effect. And also lying down and looking up, the experience you are sort of going through, um, you're going forwards through sort of, you know, very surreal abstract shapes. Um, but it's kind of like going through a tunnel. But when you're lying down, that means you're kind of like, lifting up you're sort of ascending into the sky basically and that effect was really interesting um it felt very kind of like you're also doing this thing with your voice and that feels it kind of felt like i was propelling myself with my voice somehow right yeah <laughs> like that was kind of pulling me up into the sky that was amazing i played that a few years ago when it was at game city um cause it's been in like a work in progress for a very long time i think and mm. sort of as robin has been it's robin arna isn't it yeah. um as he has been sort of like i guess meditating on meditation it's <laughs> you know it's sort of changed and evolved i think but um at game city it was a case of lying or sitting on a beanbag or sort of you know propping yourself up on a beanbag and having it on i think it was on like a vr headset with like headphones on and i fell asleep <laughs> <laughs> genuinely oh fell asleep that was it, it, it's such a weird experience to fall asleep on the show floor like, literally in full it was view of the contrasts at pax was extreme as well because it's a massive busy show oh, and very yeah. loud and noisy and then you strap into this and you're in a total serenity so i can i can imagine that yeah this is one of the few games though that could tell when you fall asleep because you stop making the noise <laughs> wake up <laughs> it's not time to stop meditating yet <laughs> wake up and calm down the ultimate vr horror experience would be that and you go and you put the headset on the shuffle and it's like this is going to be an immersive experience of your own voice and, and it will, will surround you by this sound and you're you start experimenting like, oh, you're doing all the noises and things. And it sounds like it's just everywhere around you and you take the headset off and it is. It's all <laughs> two huge speakers and everyone can hear. And they've just listened to you honk for like four minutes. <laughs> just in a totally silent room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like the entire convention is really quiet. <laughs> that, it's not, that's not sound processing or anything. That's just exactly the sound as it was and experienced by everyone. <laughs> it's an exam room and you haven't revised. And yeah, you're exactly. and, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, that that would be good. Do that. Robin. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a, um, a genre of uh, of prank show that re- involves you know rearranging the world or someone's in VR. So that- yeah, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Like there isn't really like that. Feels like I don't know. To me, that I feels- can't really imagine like the VR horror game that's just about being in a really embarrassing situation. <laughs> but I can sort of. I feel like rearranging the world while someone's in VR to prank them is quite a kind of mild prank compared to like anything you do to them when they're in VR, I think is just kind of a crime. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> The effect is so extreme and you can have such a bad reaction to that that it just should be completely off limits, I think. But waking up and then being like, hang on, what? <laughs> this yeah, whole room is yeah. different? That's just a regular prank. Remember that there was that video a while ago of like that VR experience where it was just getting guillotined the VR game where your head came off and went into a basket. That and th- was a feral vector, I think. Yeah, it, it yeah. was. This was a. This is like this is like Oculus Rift DK one era, and um, but they'd have someone like lean over the back of a chair, like they were climbing into the scaffold and things, and then occasionally someone would just come and like tap the back of their neck with a, <clears throat> like a butter knife, so like just the coldest touch of completely smooth metal. But people would just like you just you can basically it's like an electric shock to the synapses yeah. like the sort of received versus expected kind of stimuli is like just people lose their f- minds so yeah, yeah you're right it should be a crime there's a psychological experiment or 
demonstration similar to that where you um, put a piece of cardboard between someone's eyes and have them stare down at their hands uh, so they can only see one hand at one time. And I think, I can't remember exactly. Oh, no, sorry. That's completely wrong. Uh, you start like that and then uh, they replace your left hand with a rubber hand that looks exactly the same. <laughs> Mm. And they run through a, a variety of like acclimatization stuff. And then they hit the rubber hand with a hammer, and almost everyone flinches and cries out in pain. <laughs> someone just hit my hand. <laughs> we should talk about what we've been playing. John, would you like to tell us about what you've been playing? I've been playing some of that Frozen Synapse too. So have I. It's a it's the sequel to that uh, simultaneous turn based game is that the right setup yeah, for yeah. yeah yes yeah it's like real-time turn-based yeah five seconds of planning uh and then you execute and hope everything turns out your way mm. um it's quite similar to the first one i think they've done uh, there's a lot well there's a few interesting new features which um keep the the main tactical layer uh quite interesting uh, there's there's lots, a knife guy right now. There's a knife guy. Because the first one was kind of like uh, the tactics version of Counter-Strike. Yeah, like I was going to say. It was just men with, with assault rifles, basically. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this cool kind of holographic style. Uh, the first one was very much um, kind of stone, paper, scissors, where you had assault rifles and shotguns and rocket launchers and stuff like that. But they've thrown a whole bunch of stuff into the mix Um and some things are just better than others now. Like pistol guys are just awful. You don't Fair want enough pistol guys. They're just bad. But their knife guys uh, are fun because they move about at least twice as fast than any other <laughs> unit in the game. Excellent. And they're incredibly dumb. Um, <laughs> so while all of your other units will uh, follow your plan uh, almost exactly, they can adjust their aim slightly to um, point their gun at... Yeah. Uh, someone whereas knife guys can't deviate at all from their plan <laughs> and only um and can only take down another unit if they move directly through them <laughs> i said i was gonna stab here and i'm gonna stab yeah. here i don't care where you are <laughs> so they're really hard to use um properly but very satisfying um i found they're most useful just zigzagging backwards and forwards across a doorway <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm gonna stab someone if they ever come through. Isn't, wasn't, isn't, um, you learned that from the rest game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, isn't um, wasn't a very early episode of the Crit and Crowbar titled "Plausible Deniability Knife Dude," <laughs> yes. and this feels like another manifestation of plausible deniability. <laughs> it's it's like, I am not a knife murderer. I just I am gonna walk back. I'm gonna stab in these this places. My doorway. <laughs> I'm, I'm free to stab it as much as I like, regardless of who comes through. There's some uh, fun new stuff with area denial, like flamethrowers and miniguns just lock down a huge cone of fire um, and are kind of genuinely terrifying if you catch them in the right um, mm. kind of level layout. Um, and then a really nice uh, little tweak, aside from just general, uh, I think they've put quite a lot of work into UI polish because it's a very, very um, specific game where you have a huge amount of um, control, like uh, down to like like 0.1 seconds you can yeah. be giving uh, these guys orders and they made a lot of um, steps in clearing up the UI for that and making it as good as that could possibly be it's still a lot um, to deal with if you're really going to micromanage your guys um, but I think my favourite thing is uh, previously 
you could tell your guys to aim in a specific direction. So they swing their cone over to there. Um, so you can kind of strafe around corners more safely than just charging blindly into a room. Um, and now they have um, a little diamond within that cone of fire. So if you're confident enough that not only you think your enemy is uh, your target's going to be in this direction. If you think it's he's going to be in this almost exact area, uh, your guys will get a huge boost to their uh, aiming time mm. and probably win that fight. Yeah, it's very gratifying. It's also like enormously easy to totally overplan mm. and end up like almost the the, the best turns are where you because you know to clarify, it's not just you plan out your moves. You have full freedom to plan out what you think your opponent's going to do and see exactly kind of mathematically what will resolve yes. if you anticipate it properly it's not like XCOM there's no dice roll to like do hit it's like it's all completely deterministic but it's about what the other person does mm. and you can plan and plan and plan and plan and then realise that you're playing the same game against this is one turn they're playing the game against yourself <laughs> and therefore you're playing basically your own expectations and your own ideas against each other and then you end up with a plan and then you do it and then something completely different happens or your opponent particularly a multiplayer your opponent does something yeah. that you know you both just miss each other. Like you're kind of like yeah. dead eye shots aiming in completely the wrong direction. Nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. Like your opponent does the stupidest thing possible and totally outplays you. Yeah. <laughs> happens. Um, but it's those kind of things which, um, moving over to the single player, uh, I find most infuriating about it. Um, the single player component is, um, kind of split level, overworld of a simulation of this um, huge cyber city uh, with a bunch of factions and stuff inside it all with their own agents and bases and things and then like XCOM when you have a fight you um, go down to the tactical level and sometimes I utterly hate it <laughs> <laughs> like my the graph of my enjoyment over time with this game is just huge zigzags up and down constantly mm. um, I spent a good couple of hours or well, my first couple of hours or just shouting into a notepad document, <laughs> everything that was frustrating me. And it started about five seconds into the intro when their absurd fiction, um, kicks in and I don't have a clue what's happening. I just checked out immediately after the, um, like shape forms and vat forms. You better get clear what those are immediately. Uh, and then the 10 factions in the game, all of whom appear like humans that all dress identically and have cyber names and all want various different things. And all these people are going to be hammering you for attention and asking you to attack the other factions for them. And you don't have a clue what they're asking or what the other factions done wrong or why you should care. And yeah, I hate that bit particularly. Yeah. Shape form is a bit of a tautology, isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't shape mean form? Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I think, I think it's really like, um, I, I, I thought, um, Chris Donlan, um, wrote a nice review of the game for, for Eurogamer and something that was sort of implicit in his review, which I, I sort of, uh, cause I had a very similar experience of initially the, the campaign was that like, it, it's one of those things where it gets better the more you understand about it, which I think is true for us in sign up generally. Mm. And like that first experience was, yeah. And particularly because you start off receiving funding from all of these companies and each one you piss off, uh, takes money away. Yeah. So, and that just happens constantly. Like it's, 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 you know, it's planned. I think that you will end up just losing money from companies they, almost immediately. Yeah, they flood you with so many mission requests from these guys that, I mean, initially you have one team and very 
quickly you can have a kind of crappy second team and so on and so on. Um, but there's just so much to do that you have to just ignore these people and see your money, your funds tick down and down and down. Yeah, it's weird because it doesn't feel like an opportunity cost, although I suspect that's what it actually is in terms of the planned arc of a campaign. But it really does feel like I started with this amount of money and I'm playing a video game, so this is probably going to, oh no, I'm losing resources. <laughs> like, or I feel like I'm losing resources, but I don't necessarily process what that means yeah. in terms of my progress. The ad is a confusing. Like now after five hours or so with it, you're, I've started to see opportunities within this, uh, and starting to appreciate the simulation in it a little more, uh, where you can see, um, these faction leaders all have strike teams much like your own and they all want, um, to go and fight and capture resources and stuff like that. And if one of these teams, uh, you can watch their little unit walk across this city, uh, attack another base, and then you can uh, see what happens afterwards. And you can click on them and see, right, these guys have like 30k in cash and an artifact, and their team status is listed as partial, so they took losses in this mission. So now would be a really good time to intercept their squad or set up a checkpoint later on down the road and ambush them. Um, but then again, it's like, is it worth pissing off this faction? I genuinely have no idea. Mm. Hmm. I think that was my issue with it, is not knowing. I ended up not worrying about pissing off anybody mm. and just going for the kind of sort of plot critical stuff. Yeah. Because... That was the angriest, reddest thing I was being told to do at yeah. the time, which I think, again, I like, you know, my, it's been an interesting experience because, like, for me, I find Frozen Synapse, and I found this for the first game, it's so deep as a tactical simulation because it plays you against yourself, which mm. is a great trick. It's like, you you know, you do play against yourself for a while and try and figure it out. And you do that every single turn that the amount of depth in a single move is almost hard. You, you know, you have to start making your peace with the fact that you'll never make a perfect decision right at, a, at the most granular level of frozen signups which is like one person moving once in one turn mm. and there are levels of you know it's not grid based or anything like down to the you know uh you know pixel perfect placement of waypoints and all of this stuff ultimately matters so there is some sort of like vast sort of possibility space paralysis yeah. simply from that and so as you expand that out into the simulation i I can see the appeal of that, but for me, multiplayer is, is more enjoyable because I kind of just want to enjoy those sim- those basic mechanics in that. In- I think that's absolutely right. Moving those systems over to a long-form single-player campaign, um, while it works on some level and I'm still enjoying it, it's kind of flawed by its very nature. Um, you have to do... There's a lot of combat in it, and often you'll be facing off against more enemy units than your own. And so... Um, that's a lot of planning to be doing if you want to invest time in uh, setting up the enemy's predicted actions. Uh, and so you kind of stop and just kind of do your best guess at what's going to happen just to get through things quicker. And you're kind of glossing over a huge part of the game at that point. Yeah. And then it doesn't help at all that the AI is kind of all over the place. Um, sometimes it acts totally randomly and is uh, completely impossible to predict on any kind of level and on the other end i'm almost certain it cheats <laughs> uh it looks at because uh, after you've pl- you planned your moves you click on execute and there's some calculations that happen to resolve exactly uh how the battle plays out and i'm almost certain it looks at what you've done <laughs> and finds the tiny pixel 
between your intersecting cones of fire and your gas grenades and your explosive RPGs and puts five guys there and shoots everyone immediately. <laughs> and then it, like the AI then feels guilty about it, how badly it's <laughs> trouncing its stupid human opponent and then just walks a grenadier into his own gas grenade just as like a little <laughs> token of fuck you as well. <laughs> yeah. That's, because in theory, if it's doing, I feel like when you're being asked to plan your turn, you are, uh, in your head, it's like the enemy has already planned their turn. Now you're, you're figuring out what you're going to do. Mm. And so if that's the case, then there should be no processing time after you click commit because it already knows how to simulate everything, right? The time it should take to simulate a plan right. that you put in yeah. is instant. You know, you doesn't have to compile every time you plan something and want to simulate it. So if the enemy already knew what they're going to do, the processing time should be zero when you commit. So it's definitely messing with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they could, if it's not, uh, the processing time doesn't have to be at the end of the turn, but it still could be. Mm. You know, they, uh, if it was me and they were, they were committing their time and do the processing before the turn so that when you click commit, you get that instant kind of gratification. Yeah. If they're cheating, they would have to do it after the turn. <laughs> I find it really difficult to kind of get into a stride of the campaign. Like, I almost don't want to pass judgment on it. Like, there are things I like about the atmosphere. I love the music and that, that sells oh, me yeah. on things like the writing a little more because, it is, you know, I, I can't, couldn't remember the plot of the first game. So the references to what happened, it just really did go over my head. Mm. But the music's incredible and it does look kind of, and I, I wanted to sink into it, but partly I think, you know, the, the choice paralysis stuff just really, really started to like, it's, it's, it's big town. It's, it's a big town. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a big town problem. And you sum that up, that up a little, bit, a little better than my rambling. No, no, at all. But like, but it's true. But you get you get a lot of you hit a lot of speed bumps really quickly. Mm. The other thing is, there's like a little button in the bottom right corner of the screen, bottom left corner of the screen, and it's a little red light. And if you click it onto green, it just starts looking for a multiplayer game for you. Yeah. Because the idea is that at any given time you're playing ten games of multiplayer, and <laughs> and you whenever your opponent posts their turn, you go and do yours, and there's no need to be playing at the same time as somebody. So you always have all these other games with frozen signups at the go. Mm. And this is like, this for me is like, it's almost unique to this game. It's like this sort of fractal expansion of this, this fundamentally like dizzyingly complicated basic unit of complication that is then extrapolated hugely out across this campaign and then also extrapolated out across the other 10 games you're playing at the same time. Yeah. So, which is really gratifying because it feels like there's always an interesting set of strategic decisions to be being made somewhere. Mm. But I found it as I've then played more of it easier and easier to simply play the part of it that delivers that straight away, which is in the first instance, regular multiplayer. And have you played a uh, one turn mode yet? Yes. I really a like great addition. It's great. It's such a good idea. So one turn mode is basically just, it's it, it distilled all the way back down again. It's like this telescopic expansion of the game right back down to its really basic unit. You just play one turn against another person. And you load onto a map and you've got a situation, two teams and an objective, which might just be like kills. It might be object, might be picking up items, something like that. And do you plan out what you think is the perfect turn from your perspective? And you can simulate your opponent's go as much as possible. And then if no one else has ever played this before, you just post it. And later on, you can load up the game and have a look at all the ones you've done. And if there's a little star next to it, it means someone else has posted uh, a go from the other side and you can see who wins. Um, or often you'll be loaded into one where someone has left another go. So mm. you just have, there's no waiting for opponent to take their turn or anything. <laughs> you just have a go at it. And winning those feels incredible because you don't have the kind of, um, the kind of the sort of the additional complexity of like, oh, well, I'm doing this this turn to set up for next turn. It's just plan one turn, yeah. which is, which is frozen sign up said it's at its absolute purest. Yeah. And I found it really gratifying. Like, um, I went, I went, I planned, but I, I agonized over one and I, it was the first one I'd ever hit that I hadn't set up 
th- there wasn't another side for. So I spent ages agonizing over this kind of like perfect run of like a flamethrower guy waits. Like if he runs here and flamethrowers, then this guy has to wait for exactly a, a second, 1.4 seconds so that he runs around the corner in time to get the package. But after the minimum time for the flamethrowers, <laughs> etc. all this stuff. Um, and then I got one today and it's like someone else has played it and I loaded it up and I like completely anticipated what they were going to do. And it's mm. like, and then you imagine them doing it and being like, oh, yeah, it <laughs> they cheated, me. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of, um, chess puzzles you used to get in newspapers. It's like, you are in check at this point. You mm. have, how do you get out of this? Mm. And much like, uh, the AI playing against my turns, this feels like the more fun part of the game where you have, uh, you can simulate a lot more precisely. You can invest that time in, and then you can exploit every like tenth of a second to try and get out of this horrible situation. And I think the reason for that is because you know it's called one turn mode. Mm. The, there's a tension that I think the game sometimes struggles to resolve. The good thing about it is I kind of felt this confidence buying it was that I'm probably not going to play everything. I, in the first game, I didn't play everything you could do in it, but I'll probably find the thing I enjoy about it and do that. And the moment that's not the campaign, it's this stuff, but that could change. But the thing that really like kind of gets me about it is that like, if you, if you were investing that kind of time into every turn of your campaign, you'll be playing that game for 400 years, <laughs> you know, play it for the rest of your, or it feels that way, right? Yeah. It's like you have this sort of maybe an artificial tension, which is like, how much time do I want to invest in this video game versus what kind of results do I want? Mm. Whereas normally like in a grand strategy game, you're not asked to make that decision. It's not like if you, spend three hours on this one battle in Civ, everything will be better for you. It, you don't really have... I mean, Total War maybe has some of that, but there's a pretty hard cap on how complicated that can get. Whereas this does feel like if you're the cleverest person alive, you can ace it in a way that I can't fathom. But mm. it requires that investment, and I'm not either of those things. Uh, in its favour in the single-player game, the mercs that you hire uh, have their name is composed of uh, a kind of random first name and then the gun they're holding. Mm. <laughs> so it's, you can get Daryl minigun. <laughs> and I do wonder like that, that just feels like a UI decision. Like, a, like mm. it was it previously, like here's a proper randomly generated name and subtitle of their, you know, maybe like a class name. So it's like Vanguard and the Vanguard <laughs> is the shotgun person. It's like, let's just reduce this to like Ian minigun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think, I think my, one of mine is called something like Giganto Knife. Exacto <laughs> <laughs> um, Knife would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. And also you can, uh, customize your own faction name and also your proper name in the game. Uh, so it does diffuse a lot of my stress that everyone addresses me as butts. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play this game and I wanted to play it on my laptop, uh, which is a fairly decent laptop with like a proper, like, Nvidia uh, 1050, which sounds like it's the mobile version of the 1080. Um, and it runs at 10 FPS on low. <laughs> so I just can't. Yeah, I don't know how intensive it is. It, um, in terms of like 3D rendering, it's not doing a huge amount. Uh, you can get some quite large scenes and there's a bunch of characters and stuff in there. But the city simulation seems to be quite advanced. Um, mm. There's a bunch of um, buildings in there. And if you have um, an encounter in any of them, it zooms in seamlessly and uh, down to the tactical level where you have a unique playing field down there. There's uh, based on the shape of the building as well. Which is which based is... on the shape of the building, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool achievement. Yeah. And like, yeah, no, I mean, there's this, it's just so much to it. Like, I feel like I've played maybe five or six hours of it now and, and most of that's been a multiplayer and I feel like I've, 
again, as I always feel with hosting synapse, I always feel like I'm leaving something on the table. Mm. Like there's some part of this dimension that I'm not cracking because I'm not smart enough. But that's not a terrible problem to have. It's just intimidating. Yeah. But then you zigzag your knife guy in front of a door and <laughs> kill three people who just kind of wander through it. And then you can just check out the rest of the day. Yeah. That's good. Pip. Hello. What have you been up to in the world of computer games? 40 hours of Mega Aquarium since you asked. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. No. <laughs> it. Yes, that happened. You talked about it a little bit. No, we actually we sort of. We, we, well, Tom talked about it yeah, a little bit. Yeah, played like half an hour. So we passed it forward because we knew that you. This is. I mean, your domain. I like it. It's really good. I own fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a, a theme park tycoon kind of game where instead of a theme park, you are running and building up and improving and progressing an aquarium attraction and so it's things like you assemble tanks and maintain them and feed the fish and purchase more fish and generally build up that side of the experience but also you research things like coffee stands and t-shirt shelves and things like that so that you can maintain your profits and you uh, have different measures of success and currencies that you're that you're juggling so there's money money and then there's um there's science points and ecology points which are both resources that you get from visitors looking at your uh your tanks and the stuff that's inside them and so you can earn those by making sure that there's the 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 pathing around your aquarium is good so hmm. that people see the most that they will see and also picking what is in a tank as well. Um, and then there is prestige, which is the thing that you use to like rank up and open up more, uh, options to research and augment your aquarium further. Mm, any if questions? You, yes. <laughs> <laughs> questions uh, uh, it, if you just put every tank you had, like, touching each other and adjacent in one long line, mm -hmm. and then the other half of them in another long line, and the only way people can walk is one long line between them, <laughs> are you not optimizing, isn't that not the perfect aquarium design for maximizing people seeing everything? Um, given that that is a boring way to play, I haven't <laughs> done it. <laughs> it's a very game designer way to play <laughs> Um, I think, I mean, obviously there's stuff that happens, well, not obviously, but, um, so guests get a certain time into the experience or whatever, uh, however it calculates it, and they start to want things like food or drink mm. or they need the loo or they want somewhere to sit down. And so you would naturally break that stuff up anyway. But also you can see, um, the, the, um, the percentage of visitors who come to the aquarium who look at a particular tank. And so if it was just one long line that leads away from the door, presumably it would tail off towards the end of that line because mm. there wouldn't be any point to the visitors getting to the end. And so the stuff at the end wouldn't be generating. Unless you made the floor like a conveyor belt. So they had <laughs> can you get up? Well, I was thinking <laughs> just forced to pass all the What if, um, and then just a furnace at the end. <laughs> <laughs> what if you, you equipped every visitor with a golf cart that had uh, a built in snack tray 
and a built-in toilet. I thought you were going to say built-in aquarium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what you're thinking of is a camper van. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel like maybe fish. you want to play Fortnite. Yeah, day. maybe. <laughs> I'm just thinking, because obviously you can't account for when in the arc through the aquarium someone's going to need a poo. So you, they have to be able to poo at any point <laughs> in the journey. Well, I mean point why not just give everyone a nappy that's a good idea it's better, better than my golf the golf cart idea solves both the mobility and the sitting problem at the same time but i mean if you're gonna do that just let them watch telly on the loo yeah i mean <laughs> if we get money out of that then sure i mean i suppose it's not the make everyone happy simulator is it? it's, it's specifically run an aquarium you're, you're running a visitor attraction and that's not a, you know you wouldn't do- get many groupons for that would you i don't know uh do do individual people have like different preferences for what they want to see not um not that i could tell i don't think it's that detailed but you can click on people and find out what their thoughts are so that's how you can get (laughs) feedback they're they're very basic it's you know that they enjoyed seeing this thing (laughs) 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 they enjoyed see they were excited about this exhibit or they um they're They're annoyed at the amount of litter on the floor so you need to sort of have more janitors i don't like this conveyor belt but i'm excited about this furnace coming up (laughs) (laughs) i fucking hate lionfish <laughs> or you know often um so one thing is that you can't just populate the aquarium with um high prestige fish because the punters will get bored they'll just sort of say oh i've seen <laughs> this, this is if anything already. too prestigious <laughs> <laughs> i've seen sharks already <laughs> you know and they'll just get a bit eye rolly about it all um just need some kelp and a palate cleanser <laughs> They're kicking off about kelp in kelp, my aquarium. The sorbet of the aquarium. <laughs> exactly. No, this is my problem because I like kelp. <laughs> and the visitors are like, why is there so much kelp? <laughs> and I'm not backing down. So I've got to pop, I've got to intersperse the kelp with more tanks with other things because <laughs> I refuse to get rid of any of the kelp that I've already got. <laughs> so it's a case of diluting it with other elements. Are your kelp tanks just kelp? No, so they're kelp... uh, So the aquariums have these the different elements to them. So you've got... Water, fire. (laughs) (laughs) The furnace is the fire aquarium. (laughs) Conveyor belt. The oven is the fire aquarium. The aquarium of fire. What would be earth? A potato cupboard. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And like... What's the other one? Electricity? Air. No, wind. Yes. Yeah. That would just be a box, wouldn't it? Brilliant. We've solved it. Exactly. This. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, where was I? What was I The elements about? of Kelp. an aquarium. Oh, okay. Kelp. So, you have, you have what is essentially a glass box filled with water, right? Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> What you also need to do is fish need a particular water quality. And so you have to attach, um, you have to attach filters and there are other different types of, you know, protein skimming things or UV, um, purification type stuff that will help you with that. Um, and there's also, uh, a temperature requirement for the fish. So if they are from cold regions like the Atlantic, um, 
pollock then that will need a chiller attached to the aquarium as well or to the tank rather um and if they are tropical fish you'll need to add heaters and there's different permutations of that kind of thing and a little while into the game you can unlock a pump which connects to the aquarium from further away so you can start hiding all of this ugly maintenance equipment Mm. behind a wall so that the visitors don't see it and get annoyed Mm. Mm. um (laughs) There's also, uh, once you've put some fish in the tank, there is, um, there's only a certain amount of space that the, the tank, the, only a certain amount of fish or size of fish that the tank will support any given size of tank. Um, and you also need to take into account the fish's preferences. So for example, some fish, uh, shoal. And so they will get really sad and start to languish and die if they do not have multiples of the same kind. Or there are also ones that really hate being with other fish, either in their genus or their specific species. Um, so you have to sort of start layering in all of this give and take and oh if this thing is in the same tank as this it might eat it or you know there's there's stuff that will um eat things that are a particular size or below and so i've got around that by growing some of them in a separate tank and then putting them in and using the original tank for something else Mm. which has Mm. been quite interesting you know fish reorganization (laughs) tasks um and each of the fish will have a decor requirement or habitat rather i think you'd probably say um so you need to put in plants if they like being around plants but you might also need to put in rocks or a little cave for them to hide in if they if they need that or you know they might um they have food requirements as well so there are things you know you need to put food bins nearby so that the staff can come feed them so there's all of that side of things and so some of the some of the reason that there's quite a lot of kelp is that it was uh, an efficient way of upping the the plant stat in some of my earlier aquariums Mm. um but also as an aesthetic thing it's the only um it's the only bit of plant life that you get access to early on that is tall and so it introduces a bit of visual variety i thought (laughs) so you know when i've got a lot of um jellyfish in one of the rounded tanks, which was really cool. Um, it was nice to have a lot of kelp in there with them because you could actually see it if you looked at the, at the tank in first person view. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just these jellyfish sort of hovering in, you know, quite a blank background. It introduced some of that, which was quite nice. In first person view, is there a ceiling? So you, it's basically. <laughs> How is this ambiguous? <laughs> I'm trying to remember because I did look up at one point. And it's, <laughs> Players what, can't look up. So it's not as if you are in a room, but there is a kind of sky effect. So it's, <laughs> wow. So it's not as if you are in an enclosed space exactly, but it doesn't feel like the ceiling just goes on forever. Hmm. It does feel like there is a some kind of surface above you but i can't remember it's quite abstract isn't it yeah (laughs) is it uh scenario based are you building specific aquariums to meet challenges or 
there's a campaign mm. and there's also the sandboxy stuff. The campaign is more about, um, so the first few levels just really are about teaching you the basics of things. And then later levels you get, um, access to, for example, there's one level where it withholds a lot of the purchasing of fish like you would normally do and so what you have to do is wait until sellers approach you and you have to meet particular requirements or have a certain amount of money to um to actually get the fish that will then up your prestige and and start you know making a I, I guess an aquarium engine that <laughs> sustains. Um, yeah. So that's been really cool, but there have been a few things where I've just essentially put my foot down about something in a stupid way. And then that has made my life difficult. It's self self-imposed challenges <laughs> as well as the campaign stuff. Didn't something go quite badly wrong with your first aquarium? Uh, are you talking about the, the, uh, the one where I forgot to hire staff. Yeah. <laughs> so that was not my first aquarium. <laughs> but I think it's because I had just come to a new campaign level mm. from an aquarium that was really established. <laughs> and so by the time I left that, I was so used to already having all of these staff that were fulfilling those tasks. It completely slipped my mind that no one would be here in this <laughs> right. one because I'd been actually demolishing parts of the previous one to shape it better and to make the the pathing round it nicer. Mm. And so it was that thing of it didn't feel completely out of the ordinary to go back to basics and to, you know, uh, start from scratch almost in an area. And so I suddenly went, Oh, that's why there's 28 autopsy reports. <laughs> Wait, a fish or humans? So it gives you a fish autopsy in your inbox if, um, if a fish dies. And that's really useful information. What kind of budget do they have? <laughs> a lot of people don't get autopsies. See, this is the thing. I feel like it's not an autopsy. It is just someone saw what happened <laughs> or used, a witness he was shot in the head exactly. <laughs> exactly. or used, used some fairly basic logic for example if the fish weren't fed for eight days and they died <laughs> they died of hunger and if one of them was no longer in the tank and uh grouper was looking really pleased with itself <laughs> then that fish got eaten <laughs> so yeah <laughs> you have to interview the grouper <laughs> where were you <laughs> in this tank put together I... a case the da can make yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how we bring him down if you get him on tax evasion <laughs> yeah kelp evasion <laughs> so that's good good yeah i know that it's been having a few launch sort of bugs and things but tim seems to be working on them at a fair old clip and i booted it up today and it seemed to be working fine <laughs> so yeah so that's good i'm not sure where to take my amazing aquarium at the moment though i think i'm still part way through rejigging it to make the um the behind the scenes maintenance really efficient so that I pack in as many tanks as possible. And I've, um, in the current thing that I'm playing, I've unlocked a bunch of sharks that it's really cool, but trying to balance 
them with what they might eat in other tanks. <laughs> you want to keep those be... locked if possible. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's proving to be a bit of a a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah. So that's that's my project it, at the moment. Does it feel like you'll reach a point with that one where you'll have solved it? Um, I think that once I have played. I I have consciously avoided most of sandbox mode because I don't want to have played with everything unlocked mm. until I actually do it through a, a progression of a save file because mm. I think that at that point, once I've seen everything, once I know all of the fish that I could have, um, then I would find less... Um, purpose to to tinkering around or i think i would always play it in unlimited mode so mm. that i could yeah i think it's that kind of thing but mm. that's specifically a me way of thinking of it i want to know what fish are left <laughs> mm. grand tom what have you been up to i have a uh problematic fave <laughs> <laughs> which is a Streets of Rogue, which has been recommended to me many, mm. many times over the years. And it was in early access, so I didn't play it. And then I don't really remember why. I think maybe it was on sale or something. And so I bought it thinking, well, I'm going to play it eventually. So I'll just be in my library. And then I was short sign to play and I did play it. And everyone was right. It's exactly my kind of thing. Um, it's a top-down roguelike where uh, you're in a sort of like modern day city, but the section of the city you're in will only be like eight buildings or something and then there's just an exit and you just go to the exit once you've finished your missions and you go on to another section of the city and it's all randomly generated but the missions are designed such that it's always just like kill this person or get this item from them or get this item from a safe or press these three switches in this building and then it's totally open-ended to how you do that and it, all the walls are destructible all the people are killable um you have loads of options uh with like bypassing security systems and stuff um and before I get into like what what I like about it, um, I have to mention that uh, I was really annoyed. Uh, it was really soured for me by a, just one item description, which is um, a whistle that makes everyone deaf. And the item description is a joke at the expense of a deaf actor. Right. And it's just really crap. And at the end of it, it says no disrespect. <laughs> and it's like, if at the end of an item description you're writing, you feel like you need to put in brackets, no disrespect, <laughs> what you've written is something that's disrespectful and you shouldn't write it. Yeah. It's like beginning a sentence with no offense. But. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm not racist, but yeah, <laughs> like that probably is a signifier that you are. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it's like, <laughs> this is optimistic, but it's early access. So maybe he'll patch it out. <laughs> um, but, uh, mechanically the game is incredibly my cup of tea. <laughs> it's, uh, like the open-endedness is, um, comes through mostly through you start as just like a generic character who has no special abilities. And even with that, you can solve any mission. Um, and the kind of, you start with not many items, but you can rummage through like garbage bins and stuff to find it. The usual video game way of acquiring items. Um, and the simplest tactic for like, you need to get to a safe, but, uh, like maybe you found a lock pick that you could pick a door to get in there. Um, but the whole building is full of people. And, uh, you could kill them all, uh, if you had a good enough weapon, um, or you could, there might be a way to like talk your way in, or the, the dialogue's like, cause it's all random generated, the dialogue is not, um, specific to the situation exactly. Um, 
But like if your objective is to get an item from somebody, you can talk to them and ask them for it. And you can either bribe them with money or give them an item or uh, try other things. Um, but my standard tactic is if I can find a pack of cigarettes, then I go to the ventilation system for the building on the outside and just put the cigarettes in there. And whatever you put in the ventilation system just is released as a gas throughout the whole building. <laughs> and whatever it is, regardless, even if it's a positive thing, uh, everyone evacuates the building because they're like, what is this fucking gas coming out of our vents? And so they all just leave the building only for like 10 seconds and they go back in. But that's enough that you can just, if you're willing to brave the gas, whatever it is you put in there, uh, you can just walk in and then you have to run the place and you can, um, you know, lockpicking just takes some time um, and a lockpick, I guess. Um, <laughs> that's what I was taught in thief school. <laughs> uh, but what I mean is any character can do it. Like, there is a thief character, but anyone who has a lockpick can pick a lock. Mm. Um, the only disadvantage is that if anyone's around, they're going to obviously get annoyed at you. Um, the sort of like crime and guilt system is, um, it's surprising how well it works because I know that that can be a rabbit hole for games. Like you mm. get into like, oh, you've done this thing and this guy knows about it and that guy is allied with that guy. And so this happens and it can get into a, a, enough of a mess that you don't know what the fuck is going on. Like I think even Skyrim gets into this. It's just times yeah. in, in the Elder Scrolls games where you're like, why the hell are they mad at me? Or like, why aren't they mad at me? Or a horse saw me steal something. <laughs> now I have a bounty. Um, a mud crab got really annoyed with me because it watched me pickpockets. <laughs> <laughs> hey, enough of that. Uh, the crime system in, it, it's certainly not perfect, but it's kind of, the art style is very kind of, um, cutesy. Um, uh, everything is, is quite simple. Um, and, uh, that belies some of the more, uh, uh, grim content. So, uh, a lot of it comes out through, like I say, you start as like a basic class and it doesn't have any special abilities, but can do most things. Uh, but then there's sort of 20 unlockable characters. Um, and so one of them is just like a gangster. There are two gangs, the crepes and the blads. Uh, and if you play as one of those, uh, one of the, they're both character classes. I don't know what the, what the pink one does, but the blue one, uh, you can walk up to any other blue gangster and just say, Hey, you're part of my posse now. And you can have like three of them with you and they'll just, you can order them to do things or they'll just back you up in a fight. Um, and then, uh, I've unlocked, uh, the vampire and for the crime system uh, one of the things it's strangely mild on is drinking blood like every character <laughs> has a special ability and the vampire special ability is just if you get behind someone you can just like drink their blood and while you're doing that they're kind of immobilized and it heals you interestingly you can only do it when you are injured so as soon as you're at full health you can't do it anymore and that person will be dazed for a little bit but you can't finish them off that way um, but if anyone else sees you do it if, you, if it's like a gangster and there's another gangster next to it uh, as soon as you start doing it they'll attack you and if it's a cop and a cop sees you doing it they don't like that but if it's just like a stranger if there's someone they're not allied with uh, they will say go away <laughs> as they want you to drink their blood maybe that's because they don't know what blood is they've only got blood <laughs> perhaps um, these characters are like it's surprising how different they are and how what an effect they have on gameplay because the fact that the vampire can drink blood from anybody uh, and it heals him means that uh, that's kind of their own ability, only ability. They don't start with anything interesting. They only start with some cologne, which makes people like you more, but I've never figured out a use for that. Um, and uh, in fact, a burglar stole my uh, cologne, just walked past and just snatched it. <laughs> and I thought, eh, I'll just let that go. Um, uh, that crime system does work. <laughs> yeah. uh, hey. So the fact that you can always top up your health and you have a, kind of an unlimited supply, really, because you can always find people on their own. Um means that 
it doesn't make you tougher in any one fight. Like any one fight that would have killed you from full health will still kill you because you're not, you're not better at combat. But usually you can basically take on, you know, you know, you can probably take on like three people if you have like a knife and they don't have anything too crazy. Um, but the, uh, the drawback is you'll be at half health after that. But if you can always top it up, it means you can just always do the fight. And so my solution is, my playstyle as a vampire is just like, I'm probably just going to kill everybody. <laughs> and I'll get really beaten up, and then I'll just drink enough blood to be okay again. And just keep doing that over and over again, which the other classes can't really do. Right. Um, the thief is, um, their special ability is just to pickpocket. So we walk up behind someone and just grab at them, and you get one random item that they own. Um, and that is great for just making money. You just walk around the town stealing from everybody and you get a little bit of cash usually. Uh, if you, if you steal from another thief, which is forbidden, um, <laughs> you often get a lockpick, uh, which is useful. And then they start with a lockpick and, uh, I think a bunch of lockpicks, a safe cracker, so you can crack a safe without having the code. Um, every safe has a code, like there's always someone who has it. And because you, you're a pickpocket, you can possibly steal it from them if you know who it is. Um, and a window remover, which is the best tool, because no one else has that. Um, and every building has, you know, like 10 windows and only one door. And often there'll be a window to the actual, like, room within the building that you need to get into. And so Can't if you can just... just punch it? No. Well, you, you can, and it will break. <laughs> Right. Um, and it will make noise, but you can't climb through. I oh. think the frame is like reinforced or something. It looks like they're all kind of crossbeam okay. type thing. Um, huh. and you can shoot through windows and people can see you through windows, but you can't get in through them unless you have a window remover. Well, that's um, all of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so thief is kind of cool because you, you end up being able to do it without hurting anybody. And then it gets more exotic from there. Like, uh, I mentioned the vampire, the zombie, uh, is it can't use guns um when you melee someone you gain health uh cops will attack you on sight it's illegal to be a zombie <laughs> um and when anybody who's just interacted with you in any way dies of any cause they come back as a zombie and those zombies will attack everyone else on sight and they will turn them into zombies and if you spit on them first, then when they come back as a zombie, they'll be one of your zombies and you can tell them what to do. Uh, <laughs> so like, as in that you've, you've licked them so that you're... Yeah, <laughs> that's how zombie loyalty works. <laughs> yeah. But spitting costs you health, so you've got to be careful. Right. Um, and But then you can beat them up to get more health. So you can like spit on them, it costs you health, and beat them up to get the health. And then they die and they come back as a zombie because you killed them. And then they become yours because you spat on them. <laughs> and that's how biology works. Uh, but that is amazing because it's like... Uh, everything's simulated all the time because it's quite a small chunk of the city. Just everyone is always doing their own thing. It, thieves are independently going around stealing things. Any zombies that exist are going around attacking people. Um, and obviously there's an exponential element to that. Like the more zombies there are, the more zombies are created, the more zombies there are, the more zombies are created. And uh, fights, the, the combat system is very kind of like button mashy and kind of run around and it's all very slippery and you're kind of swinging wildly with whatever weapon you have or punching or shooting or whatever. Um, and it's very chaotic and, and people getting hit in the crossfire all the time and of course they get aggroed and then they, all their faction are aggroed and all spies out of control when it's zombies and everyone who dies in that conflict is coming <laughs> back as a zombie it goes insane and there's also loads of knockback on everything and if you hit someone with a baseball bat they go flying so hard that they will like crash through a brick wall <laughs> and that's one of the only things that can get through a brick wall like short of a grenade like hitting somebody into it is one of the best ways to break into a building and so like a fight with you know 16 people in a alley where there's buildings on either side is just going to ruin both buildings <laughs> and as it kind of scales up it just gets completely insane and so like a zombie outbreak is just um a kind of apocalypse level event uh and you just end up with a city full of bodies and money <laughs> and uh can loot everybody 
And that's just like the polar opposite of the thief, where you're doing everything very subtly and not mm. leaving too much damage. Um, and there's the shapeshifter, which is like a tiny mutant baby. <laughs> and it doesn't actually shift safe shapes. It oh. possesses people. Oh. So you don't like <laughs> mimic somebody. You actually just go inside them and then you are them for a while. And when you leave, uh, they'll be dazed for a while. Um, and your thing will take a little while to recharge. And that's amazing that like, you can just do that feels like. If you're going to pick one class and make the whole game about that, it would have to be this one because then you can just, you can, if a burglar walks past, you just possess him and now you've got the pickpocket ability. You can do all the pickpocketing stuff and then you can go and, and find a gangster and possess them and now that gangster can recruit other gangsters because they don't know who's possessed. Um, and you know, you can be a cop and, uh, I haven't unlocked the cop as a playable character, but I've possessed one as a shapeshifter and their ability seems to be they can just, legally arrest anybody <laughs> uh if it's like again if it's someone in a faction and the other another faction member sees you doing it they'll attack you uh probably not because they think it's illegal but because they just don't care and uh, are willing to defend their friend um and so shapeshifter is like a great way to just get a little sample of like what everyone is like to play as like even shopkeepers are unlockable class you can become a shopkeeper later i don't know what that's like i've unlocked investment banker which i haven't <laughs> haven't been tempted to play because their traits are um they're addicted to all drugs. <laughs> there are, uh, you know, in roguelikes, there's like potions and they're unidentified right. and you know yeah. what they're going to do. In this game, it's syringes mm-hmm. and you find them in the trash. <laughs> and just injecting yourself with a syringe that you found in the trash is a thing that you might want to do in this game. And, uh, investment bankers are addicted to all drugs. They just need to take something every X seconds. Um, and, uh, they have like a special relationship with drug dealers. They get discounts and all these things. Um, they also start with loads and loads of money and they can borrow from everybody. Um, you can always borrow from a bank. I don't know what the consequences are for not paying it back, but the drug dealers, sorry, the investment banker can get into debt with drug dealers and shopkeepers and goons uh, to feed their habit. And I don't know what the hell the advantage of that playstyle is, but <laughs> it sounds kind of insane. It sounds like it's a really robust simulation. Uh, has it got multiplayer? It does, yeah. All right. I haven't tried it. Um, uh, it also has a daily challenge, which I haven't really dipped into much. And it has like mutators and there's some kind of, it's an unlock system, like a meta progression thing. But I don't really understand it because it says like you pay chicken nuggets to unlock traits and traits are what you get when you level up and you pick them at the end of the level, you get offered three. But some of the ones I, I have the opportunity to unlock, I've already been offered in the game. And so I don't know, like, what am I getting by unlocking it? Is this just, I don't know. It's weird. Um, but yeah, the unlocking characters is kind of like, sort of done like achievements so i unlock the vampire by destroying 20 graves <laughs> right which every now and then when you destroy a grave obviously a ghost comes out and will punch you <laughs> <laughs> and so it's difficult to keep destroying graves when so many ghosts are punching you <laughs> is ghost a purple class uh good question i don't know i don't see it in the menu but there's also a bunch of like dark silhouettes down the bottom that i think are like secret classes Seems pretty spooky. and i bet you have to do something weird to unlock those because everything else you're told how to unlock it right um and it would be interesting because there's like a Ghostbuster gun um, mm. that will, uh, you know, fires Busters. a ray that yeah. uh, it affects anything supernatural. So it also works on vampires. Oh, vampires, by the way, their mortal enemy is werewolves. Every class has their own like uh, repeatable quest that they do on every level. Um, so in addition to the, you're assigned these missions to steal things and neutralize people. Um, but you also have a class quest. So if you're a thief, it's to raid every single safe and every single chest on the level regardless of what you're asked to do for your missions um if you're the zombie it's to turn a certain percentage of the population to zombies um 
can't remember what the vampires one is. Oh no, sorry, the vampires one is the werewolf. Um, you have a werewolf sensor. <laughs> you can like it just pings more and more rapidly the closer you are to a werewolf. And there's only one werewolf on every level. And when you find who it is, you just have to uh, you attack it. As soon as you attack it, it reveals itself as a werewolf, and you have like a massive battle, and it's just super tough. Um, I had it recently where I was just really low on health, and I was just looking at people to like drink their blood. And as I got closer to this guy, my werewolf sensor was pinking faster and faster, but he didn't notice me before I did it, so I just drank him to death. <laughs> like, uh, the whole epic battle was just bypassed because I drank all of his blood. <laughs> this sounds mad. Yep. <laughs> did you dream this into existence? <laughs> it's got a lot of things I like. Uh, and the, I'd heard about it before, and it just sounded... One of the reasons I didn't play it is because the pitch is just like, oh, it's everything. It's a brawler, it's an RPG, it's a roguelike, it's an emergent Deus Ex game, you can do anything, you can become, you can inject yourself with a serum that makes you giant and then you crush everything, uh, you can play as a gorilla, <laughs> um, and it was too, it was too much as a pitch. It's like, well, what is it then? Like, what do you actually do? Or like, what is the shape of the game? What are the limitations on it? And the thing that they didn't say that is now clear to me is, oh, it's just a very small chunk of the city. It's, it's almost like Warren Spector's thing of like, what if you could just simulate one city block? Um, it's by making it not a huge sprawling open world thing, they can have the level of simulation up really, right. really high. Um, and, uh, it's not going to be like a, um, a performance problem or anything. There's probably like, the, no, it's probably, 50 odd people in a given level um so a lot but not like insane and so when something like a zombie outbreak happens you know that's in anything that's trying to simulate a whole city that's just a disaster level event it's just kind of unrecoverable and the whole game will be over and it wouldn't be able to simulate it but because it's just like a few buildings like it can just all be taken over by zombies and then you just go to the next level <laughs> that's not true man that's so it's still in early access is that right yeah how long has it been in early access? A long time. Right. <laughs> I feel like at least two years. Um, yeah, because I remember seeing something of it, like, as you say, years ago. I yeah. Just yeah I've been what was it called? Streets, Streets of Rage. Oh. To play on Streets of Rage. Oh. Not as good a play on Streets of Rage as John's game, Streets of Mage. <laughs> <laughs> that was a jam. You can get away with anything. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do some questions from questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, first up, Josh writes... Dear Crates of Loot, it seems like loot box mechanics are coming under legal scrutiny in more countries, at the same time that Gwent, Artifact and Magic the Gathering Arena are all preparing for release. This could end up being very unfortunate timing for those games, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how they will adapt if trading card games are forced to abandon the booster pack model. Thanks, Josh. I also wanted to take this moment to debut a new Crate and Crowbar feature, which is when I read the emails directly from our inbox, and because of Google attempting to be helpful it just provides the answer underneath in the form of three different clickable buttons that would just reply to this and save us all of the trouble that we've been going through for all this time so in this case the answer is i agree with you sounds like a good idea very interesting <laughs> <laughs> is that all three of their responses yeah i thought i'd form the actual the full answer out of whatever google tells me to say hmm. so so that's that uh, but if we were to answer with our human mouths and brains what would we say it's kind of tough because uh, i can totally see the argument for card packs and loot boxes being exactly the same. Um, they all have a random selection of stuff inside. I think most of them now will guarantee a certain rarity level, uh, which the old card packs used to do. Um, uh, you pay money and you hope you get something good and the value inside can vary quite a lot. And that certainly sounds like gambling. Mm. The uh, you seem to remember loot boxes, do they have to like declare the odds now in mm. certain countries? I think this seems like um, a lot of that regulation, and I'm not an expert, stems from 
concerns over gambling in a more broad sense as well. So when items are granted sort of arbitrary value based on their rarity from a loot box system, they can then be bet with and, and treated as sort of currency, basically, which mm. is sort of one of the root issues. It's one of the big issues with, for example, Counter-Strike system. So that isn't necessarily the case if there's no third-party market for those items, I suspect. But I don't know what I'm talking about. So artifacts, you can sell the cards on Steam trading, what's it called? Marketplace. Yeah. For, like, money. That's true. I think Valve's argument has always been that because you can't cash out on Hmm. Steam, that therefore these things don't actually have... Uh, once Steam starts selling food and houses, <laughs> which is only a matter of time. Um, I mean, there's no green light process. You could just put a house on Steam right now. <laughs> yeah, indeed, uncensored houses. <laughs> um, uh, but I would say that even though loot boxes are part of the conversation, it's not like countries have reached a consensus or have um, enacted decisions that are irrevocable at this point. I know that Mm. I think, was it, I can't remember who it was, but one developer was sort of asking its user base to lobby the government Mm -hmm. of one country to, to get them to either walk back a decision or part of the process by which something might become a problem legally um the other thing is it depends where you're marketing something because if the law in a country where your game doesn't do well or where you haven't translated it to outlaws something that's very different to if your core market that has been plowing money into this thing forever suddenly Mm. changes right yeah so and there are so many workarounds so many loop yeah like the whole you know we publish the odds therefore Mm. argument or you know um i think partly it might be that also once we get to a certain level of saturation with this as a monetization mechanic people tap uh, people have an upper limit to how many games they can play at that point and therefore mm maybe you'd need to find ways of other ways of being a point of difference or suddenly the fact that you maybe have a premium payment tier that gets rid of a lot of that stuff or maybe that maybe subscriptions will come back and you'll get a certain amount of random stuff each month or so you know like there's Mm. i think other ways that might be better in terms of people's psychological approach to games because I, I i can see i'm i'm waffling a little bit but i but it's because i think there's a lot of different thoughts that i haven't written down anywhere so i haven't mm. formed them quite but i also think that if something is viewed as potentially addictive then it might be that those games will be banned outright by parents for their children or Mm. it might be that people self-ban from those things whereas if they went with a less aggressive or a less exploitative model um their user bases that they would have more of those background Mm. players Mm. the fair weather people i don't know Mm. yeah interesting i think there's a slight assumption that um 
like sticker packs and card packs aren't bad just because they happened before mm. and mm. they were exploiting kids then. <laughs> I spent a lot of money. I was exploited money. by these when yeah. I was a child. Yeah. I spent a lot of money on Street Fighter card packs trying to get that shiny Chun-Li. It never happened. Mm. Yeah, I mean, FIFA is a kind of booster pack mm. model thing, right? Yeah, right. Ultimate team, yeah. <laughs> Ultimate team. Mm. Yes, exactly. Like, I remember when I was a kid and they had Tazos at the same time as Pogs, and I think that was Walker's thing where you would get a themed, like, uh, you know, Bugs, uh, Looney Tunes kind of character in mm. your crisps hmm. on a little plastic disc that were collectible. Who okayed selling a plastic disc in a crisp packet? <laughs> like, of all the... It's like the threatening bit in the Christmas pudding. Yeah. <laughs> it's just asking for trouble. But this brings me back to my favourite grievance, which is... The um, salt and shake crisps, oh, where yeah. oh, yeah. people weren't around in the early 90s, late 80s, I guess, in the UK eating crisps. These were unsalted potato chips that would come with a sachet of salt so that you could mm-hmm. presumably regulate the <laughs> amount of salt that you had on the thing. And I think it I was thought a it was just for like the pleasure of the process. So I think <laughs> feel it like was you're involved in the Christmas making. to older potato crisps where there would be an actual twist of salt in the thing and that would be, you know, the mm. the general way of actually seasoning this thing. Anyway. Because like the salt would fall <laughs> off if they didn't do that, maybe? Oh, anyway, so Walkers at around the same time that I was eating these things had this giveaway where they would actually put a fiver in Holy random shit. packets of crisps. I remember this. But yeah. these would be in also in dark blue sachets of around oh the God. same size. So occasionally my mum would get me salt and shake crisps and they went from being a pleasure because <laughs> the act of opening the salt shaker and, and rattling the bag around was really fun to being a kind of oh, I've won it oh no no I haven't it's <laughs> just a bag of salt and I suppose you could make some sort of you know Roman thing about oh yeah but salt was really valuable it's like yeah but we're not Romans now are we so <laughs> that's why your yearly pay is called a saltery I liked those salt and shake crisps I think not so much for I didn't really adjust the amount of salt because I always want the maximum amount of salt in any given situation. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, what kind I, of person only puts a pinch of it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were flavoured ones eventually, um, as well mm. as the, the ready salted. And so, like, the crisps would have kind of the flavour already imbued in them. And then the salt, I think the salt was different too, but it, I liked them for the sort of, like, I got to decompose the crisp-making process and, like, taste what a crisp, or a flavoured oh. crisp tastes like without salt and then with it. That's interesting. I wonder whether you could make your own just by getting really plain crisps and then taking out the flavour sachet from a pot noodle. <laughs> oh, God. In, right? <laughs> Broadly the same. <laughs> what? I just powdered... eat an Oxo cube and then look <laughs> oh, at a Pringle. Exactly. Oxo cubes are quite salty. No, not a Pringle. They've already been done. I think there's a, a weird convention of people getting packets of ramen, eating them dry, and sprinkling the seasoning on top, which is what? kind really? of there Why? already. So, because it's kind of a crunchy snack, it's 
it's partially cooked already. So. <laughs> but it's, you don't have to. Maybe There's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine tip about... Uh, it's not called pot noodles, but they're equivalent to pot noodles, is um, you break off a bit of the dry noodle first, then you boil it, and then at the end you sp- you kind of crush up and sprinkle the dry noodle on top, and it's like a crunchy topping. Oh. And that, that like, saves Jake in prison. <laughs> no spoilers, but... <laughs> That's so weird. That is weird. It's it's so specific that I'm sure the writers have tried this. It's it's one of their personal favourites. Someone was actually doing that in the writer's room. Yeah. And everyone else was like, what is this? And he's like, I'll write it in and I'll show you. The correct thing to do if you if you are looking for like a mildly self destructive act that society will (laughs) have is is to simply just like keep grating cheese into your ramen until it's more cheese than water <laughs> and then you've just created cheesy oh noodles God. that's that's how you that's you know there's a lot of different ways of shaming yourself with a packet <laughs> of ramen and that's my chosen one i've been low enough in my life that i've just fried grated cheese just grated <laughs> it straight into the frying pan oh, wow Wait, that's, a, that's a good keto tip <laughs> crunchy tortilla shells with just cheddar because if you ever like i make omelets sometimes and there's a little bit of cheese like that gets left over in the pan and then the pan just you know it just cools naturally in like an hour later or something i'm back and i'm about to wash it up i'm like oh that's cheese mm. and i eat it and it's incredible the flavor is phenomenal it's had time to like i don't know all the like fat has gone out of it and now it's just pure flavor <laughs> Why not just fry the cheese directly? That's what I'm saying. Alton Brown, I think, secret grilled cheese sandwich is he sandwiches cheese between the bread slices, but also then puts it on the outside and fries both sides. So you get that melty cheese and that crisp Mm, good cheese. Sounds good. Sounds like a nightmare. I think you get that for free in like toasted sandwich makers because it just leaks out through like gaps and then like burns on the There's every possibility of cheese in a toasted sandwich maker. So... (laughs) My um, my self-destructive act of choice recently, when when I'm faced with just a need to to do something regrettable, has been to eat crisps and watch exactly forty minutes of Justice League. <laughs> and I've done this twice in the last two the weeks. movie. Yeah, and yeah. I'm almost the. Have end you of made Justice it all the way through? Not yet. Not nor have I. <laughs> I've tried <laughs> several times. Forty minutes is my limit for how much of that film I can take on. setting. it's fascinating because I will watch anything, and it's still yes, almost it's watchable. really aggressively dull. Yeah, it's <laughs> so boring. <laughs> It's really, really bad. I was just impressed by how bad it is. It's like watching someone else's D&D campaign, but <laughs> n- nobody likes each other. And I was okay with Batman vs. Superman, weirdly. Like, mm. I know a lot of people hate it. I, I thought it was like 50% of a good film. Like, the sort of Superman as a villain was, was kind of interesting to me, and it didn't quite make good on that. But I watched it all in one sitting, I think. <laughs> it didn't take me multiple attempts. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't know how they beefed it that hard, but they did. Anyway, that, so that's about loot boxes. Um, and that's... I also really like the guy playing the Flash in Justice League. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's a real like. I feel like the combination of like Zack Snyder movie and, and Joss Whedon movie just doesn't really work at all. <laughs> it's like you know, talking about flavors that it makes. Like they just don't mix. Like you can't take elements of one and combine them with the other. You just get the worst of both. Like Zack Snyder hyper grim action sequences are not improved by the guy who plays the Flash doing a big whoopsie face during every <laughs> single one of them. It just makes it worse. And like yeah. Whedon banter doesn't work because the next scene is like someone screaming in a big red CGI axe breaking a wall into your face yeah <laughs> anyway uh what we're we doing podcast yeah um hang on next question comes from duncan who writes um dear questions happy 11 millionth episode uh sat on my podcast app for well over a year now i have prey a lock-in at the crate and crowbar that's a coincidental moment john because you were there then you're here now i contributed to that <laughs> you were there we were all there 
So was I. No, you won't. <laughs> well, you, know, you can't just say we were all there. Well, I mean, all the people who were there are here now. It's my birthday. No, <laughs> uh, Duncan continues, I can't listen to this uh, because I haven't finished Prey yet, and I will get round to playing it. My list of games I've already bought but need to get round to playing has gone from embarrassingly long to impressively long. <laughs> so it's with pride that I can declare that the oldest game that I will totally get round to playing is Deus Ex Human Revolution. What is oh. the oldest game you need to get round to playing? Thanks from Duncan. And uh, Google provides the reply to this, which is cool. I'll check it out. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed it. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> it's very positive. Mm. Uh, speaking of Prey, who is Arcane, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm determined to play Arx Fatalis yeah. at some point, which was their first game, I mm. think. And a big old... Did they do two of those? No. Immersive Sim. Dark Messiah and Magic was Arx Fatalis 2. Uh, yes. It was purchased by and Ubisoft. I love that game. Uh, and so I'm determined to get around to uh, the first thing they made, which I believe yeah. is a lot more open world-ish kind of simulation based. It's a dungeon. It's like one big dungeon. It's yeah. like, um, but it's Ultimate much more world-ish. simmy. Yeah, much more simmy. I also heard it's quite hard to uh, control. Does yeah. it have like gesture spells? I think it's got yeah, that, yeah. yeah I, the only every game with gesture recognition, uh, the developers are always like, "Don't do gesture recognition." <laughs> <laughs> you have, it's something you got to try it for yourself to convince yourself that you shouldn't do gesture recognition. <laughs> but everyone who does comes away thinking, "Let's never do that again." <laughs> I did play that for like a short period of time and I stopped. I can't remember if I actually had some issue with it or if I just kind of lost track of it and forgot to go back to it. What's your answer to this, Tom? Uh, another world. Mm. Mm. Cause I'm a huge flashback fan. Um, but I, that was my first, you know, uh, I hadn't played another world and I still haven't. And it's been reissued multiple times. So there's probably like a modern friendly version I can play. Mm. There is, uh, I'm afraid I don't know the name of it. I'll stop my head, but I retweeted recently a, gif of someone who's making uh a flashback inspired game but i would say it goes even beyond inspired like the levels they're showing are the opening scenes of flashback Mm. uh with a few changes like uh okay it's not a remake of flashback but it's um you know it's incredibly similar certain animations just seem almost frame by frame the same um and but god that like there's something about that game that's just kind of has never been uh kind of surpassed in some ways like mm. the, the atmosphere of it was just so uh specific and unique it's lodged in my brain and actually like even the missions selection board and heat signature is kind of directly inspired by flashback because mm. i just remember that when you first you start in a jungle in a flashback and eventually you get to a city and it's a big change of scene it just because the atmosphere is so good in that game it, it's amazing to kind of go to a completely different place and you get there like your first job is to your first kind of quest is to get a work permit and once you get a work permit you can just use these job terminals and just take any job just there's just people who want things done and you just work for them and i remember that just being amazingly exciting to me at the time like now that's quite a common pattern in games but for me at the time it was like wow i can just take any of these jobs i can just do work and get money for it um yeah it was really mm. cool and so presumably another world is great <laughs> i don't know pip um, I thought I didn't have an answer for this, and then I remembered that I have spent a bunch of time this week in and last week organising the PC Gamer magazine archive, mm. uh, and have in passing gone uh, dipped into the issues 
and seen a non-zero number of columnists photographed wearing bum bags. Um, <laughs> however, in the in the early days of PCG magazine, the one of the games that they were looking forward to uh, was Bullfrog's um, creation, mm. which. Uh, mentioned the word undersea and had a picture of a dolphin involved. And so <laughs> that has now become a game that I would like to play. Uh, and it's not on GOG. So <laughs> I don't know whether that uh, I have done almost zero research <laughs> in terms of actually getting hold of it. It pretty much exclusively involved going to GOG and then typing it into their search bar and nothing popping up and going, mm. oh, well, I suppose this is lost forever. Let's <laughs> Don't move on. remember that at all. What is it? I only know there was right. a picture of me <laughs> under the sea because I was so aware at that point that I should probably be almost done. It was, <laughs> it was because the archive... It, because of moving office, the archive was a bit of a mess because everything was still in boxes dotted around. And so my former librarian self came back to haunt me and was like, you know, you can't leave this room until everything has been accounted for. <laughs> it took a lot of effort not to make an impromptu card catalogue and start <laughs> referencing things. Um, so yeah, I, I had reasons to not down there for huge lengths of time <laughs> beyond the ones that I had already committed. But I, yeah, it it looked like just an underwater kind of 3D exploration-y thing. <laughs> you I'm, seemed, one of you two seemed to express some form of recognition. It, it's, the name sounded familiar, mm, but I, I don't remember seeing a shot of it. Um, Maybe it never got released or something. Yeah. Maybe it was one of those ones that that people talked a good game about there and was... featured on the cover a couple of times <laughs> and just nothing. <laughs> that sounds likely to me just because I remember a game called Evolver, which is okay. um, uh, also about, I assume that the Bullfrog one is about creation and evolution and stuff. Um, <laughs> and it, I was super hyped about that game and it never came out. Um, and, and am I remembering correctly that High Octane was a Bullfrog game? Do you remember that? I don't. It was a wipeout style racer, and I mm. think it was, but it's so outside of their oeuvre, if they have one, mm. uh, that I... There's some information it, for my us. My memory <gasps> denies it. Creation was a cancelled real-time oh. strategy game developed by Bullfrog Productions as a spin-off of the Syndicate series. What? <laughs> what? Set on an alien water world, a player-controlled submarine is tasked with looking after marine life and defending so it from... No, hang on. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the most... This is a left turn. So... I'm going to read the sentence again. Creation was a ca- cancelled real-time strategy video game developed by Brawlfog as a spin-off of their syndicate series of real-time tactics games. Set on an alien water world, a player-controlled submarine is tasked with looking after marine life and defending it from the syndicate who run planet Earth. Uh, Creation was the working title of multiple Bullfrog games, including Magic Carpet, Powermonger, and Populous. An aquatic-based incarnation of Creation became Magic Carpet. Um, and the final incarnation was led by Guy Simmons. So I just, I mean, there's a bunch to unpack there, partly the fact that it's apparently the, because this was 1995, due for 97, so. So does it exist? No, Magic Carpet does. But yeah, so is this the version of creation that became Magic 
carpet, I or think is so, magic yeah. carpet something? I just else? love the fact that, like, oh god, we'll, we'll make a sequel confusing. to the game. What is the new premise? Well, the, the people you are in the last game, yeah, they're in, the, they're in space now and they're menacing fish. <laughs> <laughs> so you play as the fish. And... Maybe they're not menacing fish on purpose. Maybe they're doing something else, but it happens to be impacting. All the syndicate fish. people do is walk around in a trench coat, fire a minigun, and a bunch of different they're persuading the fish. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so does the water thing exist? This is is the that what magic carpet is? No. no. <laughs> right. No, magic carpet is in the air. It's thing. the other element. Well, that's yeah. what it sounded like it. But then I wasn't sure if we were talking about the, the water anymore. Because you said that some version of creation like, became. So I wasn't sure I suspect sure it which... would be the, the flying around in 3D well, thing. I mean... This has reminded me of something. And I'm going to abuse my platform. Dear listener... If you played a game, I think it was kind of early Windows 95, uh, where you were a miniature submarine trundling around the ocean, um, doing it, I think it was kind of an elite type game. You went out and did missions and salvaged stuff, but you were a tiny person and you occasionally had to run away from very large fish. Um, if you remember that at all, especially the name, could you tweet me? Cause it's been <laughs> driving me insane and I'm not sure if I dreamed it. Oh, or not. it seems like this was going to go out of, um, out of magic carpet, not the other way around, because I didn't think the dates lined up. So this is going to be a use of magic carpet technology right. rather than the other round. Although there's some amazing 90s game speak in this, so I'm going to read some more of this, actually. It's good when I read things from Wikipedia. What a good new segment. <laughs> um, uh, by late 1996, creation was near completion. Bullfrog believed the game was shaping up to be an epic. Um, according to Bullfrog, those who had seen the engines of Magic Carpet and Magic Carpet 2 noticed their resemblance to film taken underwater. <laughs> and as the idea of a game right. with Why existences... Why would Magic Carpet have engines? Uh, it's magic. Ecosystems had already been discussed. It was fate that the elements be merged. Uh, and then the cancellation. In 1997, it was decided that sub-games don't sell. <laughs> and creation was cancelled. Molyneux commented, I think it's a real shame that it was killed because it could have been something very impressive. He stated that he believed the cancellation was because many people thought that Bullfrog should focus on games that they knew would be successful and wanted them to concentrate on Populous 3 instead of the unknown quantity of creation. Um, uh, but Lionhead also attempted a project called Creation uh, later on. Um, and um, uh, apparently in an episode of Games Master, Dave Perry claimed that there was a version of Magic Carpet that becomes Creation when the player flies underwater. <laughs> Uh, but there was no evidence for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one of those like many of Perry's legends. Yeah. Like, just like, if they, you put in like this number of commands, you can see so and so without their clothes. I don't, don't want to accuse Dave Perry of being like a, a, a child in a nineties playground. But like this is something I associate obviously because I was a child in a nineties playground, and I know the thing you do is lie about yeah. what's in games at yeah. length. Do kids still do that? Do you think? I remember very distinctly. Uh, having arguments about what like what happens in a game or when you do this you can do this and then someone no you can't and then we would always resolve this by just saying well on mine you can <laughs> that was just acceptable <laughs> oh you just the game's different for everyone I must have told this story on the podcast before but the time when I was young and I I had never played Command & Conquer and I just flat out lied about having not played Command & Conquer to the point I was like oh, yeah I drove this jeep through a wall of a nuclear bunker and it exploded it was great uh, it's not it's not possible <laughs> and anyway I think so what we've established is I no longer have an answer for this game anyway. <laughs> we've gone back round. But off the back of John soliciting... Do you know what this is? I don't know what that is, but I want to add in my own game. <laughs> I mean, is it that? 
No, so what I remember is I think it was a free game that came bundled with a an antivirus software. Um, <laughs> and I spent hours on it. And it was this um, grid of squares and the lines between the squares would be the pathways that you as the antivirus could travel along and I think you were trying to avoid other little blocky shapes that would travel along them and you know would symbolize the viruses or something like I it was something like that it was so you know lo-fi it was so basic but it was really really I think one of the first times I got properly too into a video game and would just play it again and again and again trying to yeah I, yeah <laughs> Rad. so if anyone knows which antivirus program that was <laughs> and can uh provide me with a copy of that <laughs> that would be great our next question comes from daniel who writes dear fate and youtube star Possibly for one Tom, possibly one for Tom S as a gaming dad. I think he means Alex, because Tom Senior doesn't have children. Neither of them are here. Neither of them are here. <laughs> we'll never know. Um, uh, my kids are nine and seven and really like games and watching people play games. Are conventions like EGX or Rest okay for young'uns? If not, what lower age limit would you recommend? They're not planning on going to the after show drinks, if that was a concern. Cheers. Uh, Google, once again, stepping up to the breach to answer this question, states, sounds good to me. I think that's a great idea. I'm fine with whatever. <laughs> I'm fine with whatever you with your kids. It doesn't actually bother me. Um, so actually, as it happens, I was looking at uh, the eject site today because my listing went up. Um, and I think today they, they advertised the fact that they have a, I think, a, a family area or an area where it's, you know, specified for families and kids under 10 get in free. So that's a reason to give it a mm. go i suppose like i think it's always like a super noisy environment and so it depends on the kids to some extent how happy they are with yeah. that uh, but they also have like a dedicated chill out zone now where people can stay for as long as they like so there's probably good reasons to say yes to this as google does yeah definitely like some kids love that kind of environment just like there's just shitloads of like exciting cool things and lots of noise and colors and lights and stuff and uh i remember i went to minecon um one year and showed gunpoint there and uh, uh minecon's audience is incredibly young um and uh kids seem to really uh get on with gunpoint and my favorite moment was watching um a dad with a, a kid who must have been like 13 mm. maybe um and there was two stations for gunpoint and they're sitting down playing side by side and the kid just kept leaning over and telling his dad how to do it. <laughs> his dad is like three levels behind him. And he's like, no, you've got to connect that to that. <laughs> and yeah, kids pick things up real fast. Yeah. But no, I think, I think they've made an, I mean, there's also like the board games area that Asmodee runs. So there's, there, you know, there's, there's stuff to do that isn't sort of noisy show floor stuff. So as long as they can handle a bit of queuing without going insane. Yeah. I think it depends on the kids and their tolerance for for all different elements because I think Rezd is a lot brighter and airier because the venue that it takes place in is actually a lot of old shop fronts mm. with a lot of space in between. And so if, if you're with a kid who gets overwhelmed by crowds because, you know, being a bit lower down or, you know, in the middle of a, a busy thing and maybe not being seen all the time um it 
it's easier to take a bit of a, a break from, whereas the EGX venue at the NEC tends to be this cavernous hall where, you know, you can get lost or it's quite dark and quite loud and, mm. you know... It, it, it's a bit much and I say that not because I don't trust children's ability to override all of that stuff it's that I find it a bit much mm. and often will just go and get a coffee from somewhere nearby yeah. or step outside just to be away from it all for a little bit I suppose the benefit of the NEC with EGX is that you are near some greenery there's the little outside areas and things and you can get away and still do something whereas whereas it's a little more difficult um, so I would also say that the, so I think the, the actual adult games are obviously off in the over 18 section, but I'm not sure what the cutoff is for that. So I think you maybe would need to have a little look at what else is on the show floor to get a sense yeah. of, you know, how much. I guess, family-friendly material you would encounter versus stuff mm. that maybe is 15 plus, I yeah. think. Um, I think, yeah, I think the cutoff is literally like 18 rated games. Like anything that's like a 12 plus sure. or a 15 plus will be on the show floor. But I don't know whether there's any, you know, sort of guidance on, you know, things being siloed off a little bit. To, so, so I... You know, because if you're saying that something is suitable or that under 10s can get in free of charge, but other games are you know, would have a higher rating or a higher advisory thing as you go in. That's kind of an interesting challenge. And I think it's, it basically becomes 12A territory where it's up to the parent to, or not up to, but the, the organizers have sort of handed that responsibility back to a certain extent. Mm. And I think that's, it's reasonable, but it can be a bit difficult given the sheer number of games on show. So it might be that, going to a smaller event or a local thing or mm. you know something where you've maybe been before on your own as the adult and have vetted it a bit yeah i think although i do think that like with the the like if you if i were to say to any of them that you probably find something like i'm not i don't think going for all day is necessarily a good idea but even for an afternoon i think you'd probably find enough stuff that was age appropriate at something like egx whereas at smaller events it actually gets a little harder because mm-hmm. it's naturally more unless it's a specialized event well that's the thing the houses, i'm just but. thinking like it might yeah. just be worth keeping an eye on particular game events calendars or whatever else to yeah. see what's in your area but um and that's i'm only raising these things because i think if i was taking you know, a niece or nephew along to them, that would be what I would be a bit concerned about. I would, you know, try and take into account their, yeah, their particular, um, sensitivities or whatever. Mm. And also what I wanted them to maybe see. So I think what age were the kids? Did, did uh, say? S- uh, six and nine, I think, or seven mm. and nine. Yeah. Like I've seen plenty of, like Seven around around ten year old kids, but I think younger kids I haven't seen so many of. I've, yeah, I mean, I've seen people walking around with babies. Uh, oh yeah, yeah but like, but what I'm saying is like I've seen little clusters of kids, you know, round a console telling each other what to do, or you yeah. know, clearly they're on a on a you, you know someone's birthday outing mm-hmm. or something, and it's really quite sweet. But mm. I haven't seen that many younger than that mm. i wonder what would happen if you got a baby to play sound self because <laughs> <laughs> they do make a lot of vocal noise anyway mm. <laughs> it's just not quite as constant 
might be worth asking on the Discord to see if anybody takes their kids along to events. Yeah, possibly. Whether there's any things to watch out for or things that have been really helpful in in figuring out whether it's a good event for them. Mm, totally. So yeah, the Discord link for Crate and Crowbar's Discord is on the um, crateandcrowbar.com page. It is, yes. Um, our final question comes from James, uh, who writes, uh, Dear Crichton, Crichton Punfail Bar, um, I've recently been playing The Witcher 3 after I've received various PC Game of the Year awards, and after the recommendations CNC pod, I've noticed that similar to Divinity Original Sin 2, it has leveling weapons. And James goes on to explain uh, that by leveling weapons, he means the phenomena whereby uh, sort of level, sort of item, or in RPGs, item, weapon, gear, archetypes repeat at higher levels of effectiveness. So, you know, Iron Sword reoccurs at level 50 in its level 50 mode, meaning that legendary weapons and armor that you find at level one becomes re- gets replaced by a higher level thing of a lower tier of mm. fanciness, basically. Uh, my question is, what is the CNC take on leveling weapons items in CRPGs? Are you similarly annoyed or is it just me? Have you seen really good examples where weapon leveling made sense or cases when weapon level weapon leveling fucked a game up completely? Um, so he's been specifically, he finds this feature very annoying and references Baldur's Gate as an example of a game where a magic item is kind of simply just a magic item and it's, you know, has an identity when you find it and it kind of retains that because it's not replaced. That's basically. the good version. Yes, the right. good version of this yes. where you don't have a leveling. Whereas the bad version is in games, mostly MMOs, and I think Diablo has it a bit, um, where the design necess- necess- <laughs> necessitates... <laughs> and, yep. I got there. Thank you for the rum, Tom. <laughs> um, a high churn, a high turnover of items, mm. and the art budget simply isn't there uh, or perhaps there simply isn't enough ways to draw a long sword um, <laughs> that you can find 30 of them in your progression it's just a fucking piece of metal with a handle <laughs> I can't do it any other ways but yeah it does slightly annoy me um, uh, when you have your super amazing uh, sword made from dragon bone imbued with gems and stuff and you go to the next area and the basic iron sword there is of a higher level and therefore does more damage. Yeah, Diablo 1 and 2 did this. Um, uh, and I think those games also have a, a different structure where you complete the game on normal and then you start again on Nightmare and it's a new game plus kind of thing. Um, and so uh, the way... I, I think I'm remembering Diablo 2. I don't think I got this far in Diablo 1. Um, I might even be wrong about Diablo 1. Maybe Diablo 1 didn't do this. Um, but I'm pretty sure in Diablo 2, it was around the time that you started your new nightmare campaign. I think there was still like sort of the highest tier of, of items from your first run through, but then you would start to find something that looked an awful lot like the basic short sword, but its stats would be in excess of anything you've ever found before. And they did give it new names. I can't remember what the, what the basic short sword was called, but I remember like, the sort of shitty looking leather skull cap would be like a shark skin skull cap and it had an armor rating of 3000 or something stupid. Um, and in that case, I think maybe it was more forgivable because you were replaying the game. Like you were starting again mm-hmm. from the start. Most new game plus things don't even bother with that. It's just like, Oh, everything's harder now. Um, we increased its stats. It's the same thing. Uh, and this was like sort of claiming it was a new thing, but the art was the same. Um, and I, I think my reaction 
in that context anyway, is like, well, they could either do this or they could just not let you start again on the harder mode. They could just not yeah. do the new game plus thing, which would just be less stuff. Like, it doesn't feel like they could have made all this unique content, you know, forever and they chose not to. I find that I, I really don't mind about this, to be honest, but I think I just sort of accept it as a necessity in different kinds of games. Like, I like, I think, I think, um, loot that kind of remains meaningful for a long period of time is underexplored. Like, I think The Witcher mm. is mentioned in this email and it's sort of, it's not always like the Diablo model or the MMO model, which I think is just effective game design when it comes to making you want to keep finding things, which is the, uh, the game is incentivized to do. Um, and because it's fun. Um, it's fine, but like sometimes I think developers don't consider enough the relationship between the gear the player collects and the plot and how it factors into part of the story. Apart from the stories you tell yourself are as much to do with the things you yeah. found and the gear you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, that is, I think maybe more critical decisions should be made about what system or what approach is appropriate for the kind of story being told, but the, the reverse doesn't bother me necessarily when it shows up in a story-based game like Divinity or whatever. The thing that I think maybe the the missing third way here is like, I'm going to say it, the Dark Souls system or the Monster <laughs> Hunter system, which is where your gear levels sort of evolves like a Pokemon. So you sort of start off with a certain level of equipment and you and you level it up. In Dark Souls, you know, you end up with, you, you take your weapon on a journey through its kind of various iterations and then go up the gear tree. In Monster Hunter, you literally follow a tree of evolutions for that weapon mm-hmm. as you take it from its basic form into its kind of later madder forms with more bits of dragon bolted to it. And that, you know, that means that your level one iron sword is still in there somewhere and you have replaced it a bunch of times, but you know what that that was a, that's another story that you've, you understand all of the parts of. It's not simply a kind of, and then I threw it in the bin kind of thing. Destiny did that a bit with the you could infuse a favorite weapon with a higher tier other thing to bring it up a bit. Yeah. To bring the level of it up a bit. That that works. That's been yeah, that's still in Destiny Two, although it's been revised in the expansion and kinda of works in an interesting way now as well. But, I think Yeah. Yeah, but it does, yeah. But that was uh that was sort of a side point. I think for me, I do find it jarring. So generally I tune it out and cease to see it, I guess, mm. or it ceases to, to eat away at my brain in that way. But, um, in listening to the question, I was wondering whether maybe it's a thing that could be instantly solved with changing the, the, the wording or the terminology because it's about the fact that you have found an epic weapon to you at that moment in time given your skill set it's not the game assigning it the trait of being epic is the problem it's because the game has set that as a a thing that exists outside of you the player and Mm. you pick this up and it's oh okay this is an epic item and then later on in the game you pick up a an ordinary version of that thing but because you've progressed it's you know it's better but is a mundanity you know Mm. so it's Mm. so i think that maybe if the the way that it was phrased was presented more in relation to what your character is able to handle at that point or Mm. what they value in that moment in time i think that would actually be a way of getting around that because it would appear epic to you in that moment given 
the weapons that you'd had in the lead up to that and the other thing would seem dull but also more powerful once you had gained levels and presumably a lot more experience Mm. using things yeah i think on some level it highlights how much of a dumb abstraction levels are yeah i was gonna say how much dumb abstraction items are yeah (laughs) and then that leads you to kind of teeter on the precipice of looking down game design and nobody wants that the point so that's probably why he doesn't like it yeah i think i mean you know like i think there's maybe a much bigger discussion and not for now about how the sort of the tropes of like you know item progression in an rpg stems from a sort of traditional kind of fantasy story idea that the hero gets, uh, you know, stems back to mythology, that the hero gets a magic suit of armor or a special sword that does something. And those things have gone from being super specific, which is maybe the thing the Baldscape games do well. They're super specific, you know, sting the sword glows when there are orcs nearby or, mm. you know, whatever it is, like Lord of the Rings is full of this, but like, it's not uh, to this sort of deeply kind of stats driven or kind of mechanics driven kind of idea of what, epic even really means like diablo manages manages both because it has those sort of ultra rare weapons where that add some crazy new rule to your existing abilities or something so they feel like this whole thing this unlocks something that wouldn't be possible otherwise but too often epic just means like 15 strength (laughs) incredible and that's not really like resonant of the original purpose of that stuff from a storytelling point of view which was to give a sense of magic if it's rarer Mm. it means you have to to spend more time with the game to be sure of getting one yeah to be in with a chance of getting one so that was that was my experience of the last word in destiny one mm. for the longest time and you were sat there with pockets full of them i could <laughs> start getting last words very upsetting um but yeah so uh, but although that was making when you're talking about the leveling thing that was making me think of something that popped into my head when you were talking way back when about frozen synapse 2 which is you know i'm assuming that they used the um the the contract system almost as a difficulty curve Mm. so you start off with all of this money coming in and then it gradually tails off but in a in a way that doesn't pander to the way that games usually try and make you feel like your progression is netting you more and more rewards rather than cutting mm. yeah. stuff off but they both or rather it, it that's a way of making you complicit in the game getting harder over time whereas in most other games they give you more resources and let you level up and let you access all of this other stuff but then they scale the challenge that they are offering outside of you the character we talked about reverse progression last week as a thing i think Mm. it's probably a manifestation of that in a different way but i think you have to present it to the player very carefully when that's what you're doing because otherwise it can simply feel like you're making a mistake Mm. you know that you shouldn't be losing yeah or you're being punished yeah Mm. Yeah. exactly cool it's a bummer (laughs) well we always like to end on a, a sort of like oh kind of note that's the yeah that is uh, all of the questions we've got time for. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of The Crate and Crowbar, you can email us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. Hang out with the Discord community uh, uh, on our Discord, where the link will be on the website at crateandcrowbar.com. You can find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crowbar, And as ever, on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash crowbar. Thank you very much. 
I hope we didn't talk you out of it with like, <laughs> explaining that the podcast is free. <laughs> yeah. engaging in reverse thank you piracy. for choosing. Thank you for choosing to engage in reverse piracy on yes, our behalf. Definitely. Raw. <laughs> Raw. <laughs> um, Hoya. Hoya. Yoha. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yes. I knew you were going with that, but like I like Hoya. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah. Hoya, everybody. Back up, Patreon. on the rum. The mur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Frankincense. Mur. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, if you'd like to follow us as individuals, you can do so, uh, if you like, I'm on Twitter at cthurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. John? I'm on Twitter, J-O-H-N underscore A-double-R. I'm on Frozen Synapse at J-O-H-N-A-double-R. No underscore. Come fight me. <laughs> I completely forgot to look up my Animal Crossing friend code because I should have given that out because that's where I am <laughs> most of the time now. Tom? Uh, I am Pentadact on Twitter, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-D. Can't fight me on Frozen Synapse because I can't run it. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And uh, as ever, you know, uh, I'll be at uh, EGX. <laughs> fight me there. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Don't, please don't. But you've told them where you're going to be as well. I know. Oh, like God. Which stages, when, and oh, just a horde of people you didn't rushing think the stage. This through. I could be anywhere. No one will know. That's my secret weapon. They I'll know, know where animal- to come and fight you. Oh. They know well, you're in Animal Crossing, though. They're going to come and hunt you down there. That's true. But I can play Animal Crossing and do my life tasks at the same time. Because <laughs> they're basically the same. Please don't fight me at EGX. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> no one joined me, and thanks for listening. It was too well, it's because you, you were busy, like, uh, trying to walk back the threat slash promise you made, <laughs> and then you just launched into a thing. I was just hoping that people would respond. Let's try it again. Thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Right. Thank you. <laughs>